Welcome to Minority Report. I'm your host, Salomon Flamenco. On today's episode, we have Jackie Maynou, senior at the School of Foreign Service here at Georgetown University and current president of ASG, that is, African Society of Georgetown. Today's conversation was really great talking about primarily ABISA, which is this annual showcase they do here at Georgetown. This year will be the 11th annual, and that will be on April 22nd. We had a really good conversation about culture and fashion and how do we collectively navigate this U.S. space and context, right? When you are first generation, how do you keep and maintain the important parts of your culture while also making room for what is new and contemporary? Um, I think you guys are really going to enjoy this conversation and I hope you all enjoy it. Here it is. Thank you for coming on. Thank you for having me. So hi, everyone. My name is Jackie Maynou. I am a senior in the School of Foreign Service, Regional and Comparative Study major. And I am the president of the African Society of Georgetown. I've been the president for two years. Do I say where I'm from as well? Yeah. I'm from the Bronx, New York, born and raised, but my entire family is from Ghana. So first time in the DMV area. And yeah, that's me. That's really cool. Is there a big Ghanaian community in the Bronx? Yes, I think it's second in the United States from Worcester, Massachusetts. So Worcester, Bronx, New York. I'm really interested in the way some communities pick where they move to. Yeah. You know, yeah. like Latinos, they go to like California, Texas, Miami, like Worcester? Worcester. Worcester, Massachusetts. That's yes. interesting. Yeah. I. It was always just like a running joke. I know Ghana is very popular for tourism in December, mm-hmm. but you know, as ticket prices go up, you always hear the joke, oh, if you can't go to Ghana, go to Worcester, you go to Bronx, it's the same vibe. I know for Worcester, it is because there was a certain university there that had a program that admitted African immigrants. And so a lot of Ghanaians went there for school or to pursue higher education opportunities that weren't available in Ghana. And I think New York, because of how popular it is in movies, after Worcester, a lot of people just came to New York as well. That's cool. That makes a lot of sense. Do you remember what the university was called? Not off the top of my head, but I know most Ghanaians that went there went there, if not for like arts, like English or like any social sciences, like business. Mm-hmm. Cool. Can I ask when your family came to the States? Yes. So my mother and father came to the United States in 1998 into New York. And then they had my brother in 2000 and 2001. And the rest of my siblings in the later 2000s. So I lived in a portion of the Bronx called like the South Bronx. It's divided by like, if not neighborhoods and like directions. The South Bronx is heavily populated with Puerto Ricans and Dominican people. And so went to school with, you know, black and brown people. And I think one of the main things was the cultural identities were so strong there. You know, you went to school with people that English wasn't their first language. And so people were heavily able to identify with the cultures in which they came from. Mm-hmm. Like, I was very surrounded with heavily Latino culture, with music, not music, food. Like, for breakfast, it was, like, a thing that people would get up and go get, like, mango for breakfast. And then people would try it. And then you're not Dominican, but then you'll end up eating, like, mango for yeah. breakfast from, like, a deli. And so, like, it became so normalized to me, like... I'm African, but like I have some form of familiarization with Puerto Rican and Dominican culture as well. Yeah. There are some Caribbeans and also like African-Americans, but predominantly like I just grew up around my neighbors were Dominican and Puerto Rican. So that touch was always nice and it always sticks with me. 
especially just having that international community, even though you're in the U.S. I'm curious what brought you to Georgetown. Was it that kind of sense of international relations like you talked about that you're studying or what led you here? I think other than wanting to just like leave New York, I think the prospect of being able to understand the world outside of from what I've understood it, my environment, my education, I've always understood D.C. to be just a place where like the world is at a hub. Like the world comes to D.C., politics, government, it's all in D.C. And Georgetown presented itself as a place where you can be open to all these things, not just through studies, but through experiences, the school being so open, conferences, and just uh, the people that come to this school that hail from different places from across the world. That was one of the main things that attracted me to Georgetown and then the School of Foreign Service and applying in high school. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Well, I found out about, I read you on because of a visa. Right. And I thought it was really interesting to have this traditional West African festival and the context of it at Georgetown. And I was curious. Well, first, please explain for the audience what that is, a visa. And yeah, we just talk about it. Okay. So, a visa is the African Society of Georgetown's annual showcase fashion pageant. It is within, so the African Society of Georgetown is an ASA or an African Student Association. There's many across the country within like schools. There's even a lot in the DMV. And it's a part of like the club and organization culture to have some sort of fashion show or showcase that displays African culture. So ours is called the Abisa. Abisa originates from a name of a festival, I think from Ivory Coast. That happens yearly. That is just a display of ethnic culture within that country. And so that's where the name originates from. Abisa has been taking place at Georgetown for, this is going to be the 11th annual Abisa. So we just celebrated a decade of Abisa last year. It was right. absolutely amazing. And what Abisa consists of, I know since I was a freshman, there is usually a play that coincides with a fashion show. And the play is very whimsical, very comedic. But it is a display for the Georgetown community of some aspect of African culture. And then clothing and fashion as, you know, bright and as beautiful as it is within all parts of Africa. We use it to pull the audience and almost tell the story through the clothing that is displayed. As well as giving African designers across the DMV some place and a platform to showcase their talents as well. Yeah. No, that's really incredible. I especially just love that, you know, the celebration of culture. Yeah. I think that's really great. Especially also the community building. Like you said, it's not just Georgetown. It's also local artisans from the DMV and coming together and working at all this. I'd love to hear more about the community aspect of it. How have you seen it strengthen community here at Georgetown? Especially since you've seen it since you were a freshman. Right. So the one thing that ASG, we always aim, our job as an organization is not just to cater to African students, but we're bringing Africa to the community. And so we always, always, always promote people of different backgrounds and cultures to take place in the BSO. So not just attend, but actually be involved in the show. Our models, our forecasting have been always diverse, different cultures, religion and background. And we just introduce African culture to them. And so they themselves not only are a display of it within the show, they take some of it away with them, even after the fact. Yeah. I think everyone, especially during play practices and show runs, whether it be through music or when we're running through the play, and there's some reference of African culture 
there's like little teaching moments that you see. This line from this song it means something from pertaining to love. Or we involve this scene because from this country, this is how weddings take place. And this is just the culture of things. And so even me, myself, who wasn't born in Africa, I was born in the United States. I even come to learn things as well. And you get to teach it to your peers and other people around you. And so I think the learning aspect of Abisa, just getting accustomed to cultures from a place that for a long time have been designated as desolate or just societally decent, I think that's the, one of the greatest things about it. Can you give an example of something you've learned through Abisa that you maybe didn't you know beforehand? I think a lot of prominence within African Studies Association culture comes from West Africa because there's just a large demographic of West Africans that happen to be in universities as opposed to East, North, and Central and Southern. And so I think last year as my first year as president, one thing that we wanted to work to incorporate was different cultures from different aspects of the continent and the diaspora so that people could see that Africa is not just West Africa. It's all the 54 countries that make it up. And so there was the incorporation of East African culture, because there is, especially in the DMV, a large East African population, as well as like at Georgetown as well. And so there were lines in the play last year that pertained to encouragement amongst the characters within. And there were proverbs that were under it. And I had to ask some of my board members, you know, what does this mean? Where did it come from? And just seeing the way that they explained it. And it was a, it was a different interpretation of an explanation, but it all in, you know, summed up to some level of encouragement that is expressed through the proverb within their culture. And I was like, this is very beautiful. I think that people should see other aspects of Africa outside of what has now been commercialized or shown through the media as well. Yeah. And like certain parts of the continent should not be outshined because of its relation to like the West or like how it can be digestible, which I think is also important. No, I think that's so real too. I saw it was like a stupid meme on like Twitter or Reddit where it's like how the world is broken, you know, and it's like this is the East Coast and this is the West Coast. But then if you go too far West, you hit Japan and it's the East. And if you go too far East, it's Europe and that's the West. And then Africa and Latin America are kind of just ignored, right. you know, due to histories of colonization where they did it and then they don't know what to do with it. It's like, oh, the third world, which I feel is very dismissive. These are very beautiful cultures with long histories before European contact. So, yeah, it's really incredible. Can I ask, I'm just curious, what was your experience? We talked a little bit about it earlier, but can you kind of talk more about what it means to be African-American in the way that people maybe forget about in the public discourse, right? Like your family is directly from Ghana and just how it, has there been any points of difference or how do you, how has it been to experience that in the U.S.? So I think not just about just like being African-American, but just what it means to be Black within the diaspora. I think people often forget, especially like within a Western context, that Black and Blackness appears in like many different formats, especially if we're talking about ethnicity and different cultures within. I'm a first-generation African, and the way that I relate to my culture may not necessarily be the same as someone who was born and raised in Africa and interacts with myself or someone like me 
within the United States. I think the most important part that I've grown to realize is the acknowledgement of where you came from and how your proximity to the culture not only is something that has contributed to like you as an individual and your makeup, but how it's something that I shouldn't take for granted because there's a lot of people, especially African-Americans who were stolen from Africa, their ancestors, and brought to the Western world and have been robbed of the context of their culture as well. And I know online recently, and this has been a topic of discussion throughout our organizations and other Black organizations in Georgetown, the idea of division amongst Blacks in the diaspora because of the difference that slavery has brought, you know, Mm -hmm. the difference between African-Americans and Africans and Africans and Caribbeans and Caribbeans and African-Americans. I think that it is a mechanism of white supremacy. And if, you know, although it's important to acknowledge the cultural differences, if we are not careful, we'll work too hard and end up dividing ourselves. It's very divisive when you talk about culture under that guise. And so I think the main point that I always, at least as an individual and as a student leader, when we have these conversations, and just even like as someone who interacts with people from the diaspora, you know, daily, just to acknowledge at the end of the day, we are all Black. And now though we hail from different places and that there are historical circumstances that have hardened and made our ability to get to know our culture in the most unadulterated and manufactured way possible. It's just through that connection, just understanding that at the end of the day, we are all Black and that we should work together and use our Blackness to connect one another, to work with each other, to build community both here and throughout, outside of like the West. Yeah, no, of course. I'm kind of curious more about you are first gen, like me. I just love to hear about how you've connected in your own ways with your culture. It's so interesting because I had this conversation with my siblings over winter break. I think... Language is very important and it's always something like amongst like first generation Africans, like, oh, you need to learn how to speak your language. Are you really African if you know how to speak the language of like your forefathers? Coming to the United States, my parents placed a big emphasis on us being able to speak English and English just as well as like someone who was white and born and raised here. And so although my mother did not go to an educational level higher than middle school, but my father completed high school and then they both came to the U.S. So my mother often at home and outside spoke in our language, which is called tree. But my father at home, outside, like though he spoke tree with my mom to us, he spoke English. And so, you know, it's been difficult trying to learn the language. I myself can speak, but it's not 100% perfect. My brother can understand everything, but can't speak, and my younger siblings can't speak at all. And so I think that gap has been, like, very imperative to me as, like, try to fill it. And for my siblings as well, just so that I have some level of preservation of culture, you know? When you're born in the United States, though you are African, like, your experience as an African will never be the same as someone who was born, like, on the continent and had to live through that cultural context in that everyday life. And so, like, I'm just trying to grasp whatever I can, what is, like, understanding history or, like, language or just, like, certain cultural customs 
there's some things, obviously, because of some things that may have like patriarchal systems um, and things that are not productive to community or fostering family that I don't necessarily like, like align with. But the things that I do, I try to hold on to and like try to cultivate within myself as well. So as I'm getting older, you know, I don't forget where I come from. And later on, later on down the line, I'm able to pass that down as well. I think that's really beautiful. I think that's the conversation I've had a lot with a lot of different people from different backgrounds. Right? It's how, how can we reconcile the fact that we all have these histories that we are tied to, that our experiences are fundamentally different by being here, you know? Like, I've had Latinos tell me, like, you have Latinos, bro. Like, yeah. you know, like, you were born here, and I'm like, I get it, but it's different. <laughs> like, it's, it, the, you know? It hurts as well. I think identity and I... I don't think a lot of people realize this, but identity is for us and it's not for someone else to necessarily renounce or take away. And like, like when I, even today, like I hear it sometimes and like, it's in a joking manner, but it really hurts because it's, you were raised in that context and you didn't necessarily have a say of where you were born. And so I feel, and I always tell people this, as long as you know where you are from, and you make that effort, the conscious effort to connect from there. No one can take that away from you, no matter if you were born here or born back home. Yeah. That's really, I, I disagreed with all that. That was so incredible. No, and it's, it's, I think this country tries really hard to whitewash you, yeah. you know, or at least turn you American in those different ways. It's like, sometimes it's hard to explain to people who aren't born, born and raised here a friend who's from Latin America. They're like, why, why do you guys do this? And I'm like, because this country encourages it to like a high degree. As in, you know, do you want a job? Do this. You want to like feed your family? Do this. Yeah. Like it's, it, the standards are just so ridiculous. Because yeah, yeah. whiteness is not necessarily a thing that exists back home in like our respective country. Yeah. But then you come here and not only does it exist, if you're not careful, it will actively work against you as a person of color in your way of life. Yeah. And so like, it's just always explaining it to people who don't necessarily like live in that context and like receiving questions like, oh, is this necessary? You're doing a lot. Mm -hmm. It's like, this is a means for survival here. Yeah. And it can be difficult to explain, but it is something that we go through. Yeah. I think it's also important to just, you know, people can connect with their cultures in different ways. Like there's no one set way to be African or Latino, you know, like he's kind of just said, like, there are some things you can and probably should disregard. Like, there are some things that are colonial or remnants right. that just are toxic. I do not get us anywhere. Let's talk more about ASG, African Society of Georgetown. I'd love to hear more about some of the other work you guys do in the DMV and for the Georgetown community. Right. So we usually throw general body events both in the fall and in the spring. Obviously, because of preparation towards Ibiza, there are less general body events in the spring. But the main point is just to, it's not fostering community, just having conversations around African culture in the diaspora, as well as linking other African Georgetown students or students who are interested in African culture to other students in our fellow DC schools and just throughout the DMV area. So in the fall, we usually have a welcome back event. Just to welcome like our older general body members and other incoming students who may be interested in knowing what ASG is or just like knowing that, hello, we have a presence on campus as well. Mm -hmm. 
I think one of our more prominent events that we have in the fall, and we try to have one in the spring as well, is conversation-based dialogue called Backchat. It's based off a very popular forum, internet forum, that's from the UK. There you go. And it was created by university students where they take a very polarizing topic and they sit in like a UD kitchen and they discuss for about an hour long. And so we've taken that same format and we've ran through topics from the most lighthearted discussions to things that are very serious, requires some level of facilitation as well to talk about and just be able to have conversation around like Blackness, family, culture. I think our most recent one facilitated around the issue of the N-word and whether people that are outside of the diaspora who are not African-American can say it. And just like having that conversation of like, what does it mean to be Black? The issue of Blackness, how there are mechanisms of white supremacy, both past and present, that work to divide the usage and the danger and the power that words have. Just these things, and it was just very nice. This I think this it was attended by 75 students. So it was just very interesting to see how far we're able to gauge everybody's responses as well. Yeah. We do career workshops where we invite African alumni as well, just to talk about whatever sectors that they're in, whether it be in business, medicine, tech, government, just so that the undergrad students can see that there are Africans in the field wherever, and that there's a level of representation that exists that may not always be visible in media, or even like things when you go through LinkedIn, or even the way Georgetown presents its alumni, you don't necessarily see our faces there or our names there as well. We work very closely with the college and the SFS office, as well as the African Studies program to bring these people in. So it, at times it'll be alumni. Sometimes it can be a joint collaboration and it'll be like a politician, a world leader that comes in to speak. Just so that Georgetown students within our organization have a chance to see what's going on in the world, as well as any questions that they may have concerning the continent or the work that that person is doing, they're able to freely express them. And instead of like going through like a professor or a TA or some type of internet medium, it's like a face-to-face conversation. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I think that's beyond important. And it's interesting because you, if you don't know that something exists, right, with people who look like you, and who grew up like you, you'll never know to aspire to those things. Mm -hmm. You know, you'll never, you'll always think like it's out of my reach. So I think that's, this crazy important work. Wow. Yeah. I think a lot of, and even myself, there's like this a joke you as African only become like a doctor, a lawyer, an engineer. And so it's like the STEM field. And we try to show the people that are part of ASG that, you know, there's more. If you want to branch out into arts as an African, there are people there and it's possible. Mm-hmm. If you want to do something in politics, is there and it's possible. If you want to be an entrepreneur, it's possible, like, we're there. And so we shouldn't let that, the monolith, I think that's being created by just, like, immigration status in the United States as an African. And the majority of places that we may occupy for jobs, don't let it be, you know, the defining line of your career path. You can pursue anything as so for as long as you have the mind to go into it. Yeah. Can I ask you what are you thinking about? 
because you said you were a senior before, like, do you know where you want to navigate your career? I want to work within international development and then focus within Western Africa and then the Sahel as well, which diverts very differently. Everyone in my family is not like a pharmacist or a nurse or like my siblings are getting ready to go to medical school. So I'm just like the only person doing something else. But I think understanding the worldview from the way I've studied it at this school and then focusing on like development, I think is important. Africa has so much potential and the countries within it will so much potential to become greater than how colonialism and its effects have disregarded it towards. And so I think now as we see things like tourism, technology, infrastructure come up, I think it is important as an African to be able to invest into that. There are investments being made, but you know, from an outside context, you see China coming in and working within the continent. And then now as China, China is a competitor of the United States, the U.S. trying to intervene. And you look at the way things are moving politically, if there's like conflicts, the way outside actors are trying to handle things. And you try to think as an African, like, you know, is this the best or for the country? Do the people intervening understand the cultural context or even the people that they're trying to intervene on their behalf of? And so, like, I've always looked at that. Also, with the mindset that I also am from the West and, like, just, like, I am looking at this uh, from some certain, like, level out of Western context. Just being careful of that as well, but just seeing that, you know, where I come from has, it just has a future that people have just looked aside for so long. And I want to be able to be a part to work and build that up. That's what I think that's so important, though. I say that a lot in this conversation, but I mean, the fact that you can see it, tell others, like, there is a future there, you know, it isn't just a wall. I think that's... That's something I think a lot about in terms of, I guess, comparative, right? Like Latin America, where it's, I feel very similarly, where it's like these countries have so much potential. Like, you know, they are people rich and resource rich and they have everything at their disposal to succeed. They have been to some degree just kneecapped. Right. And it is like, it's upsetting. Exactly. Yeah. Can I have something I'm kind of ignorant about? I don't know. Yeah, I guess kind of bringing this together, right? I read about this, I think few months ago, but it was talking about African fashion and fashion designers and the importance of it. So I'm thinking about, you know, the cultural economy of Africa or of African countries and Ibiza. And I mean, could you talk more about that? Like what is in your mind, the importance of African fashion in a global context and in a personal context? That's such a good question. I think what we try to express through Ibiza is that clothes tell a story and that the way that clothing may be seen as like disposable here and that that's like you know cause of like capitalism and like the way we consume things like at a rapid pace it's not the same as it is in africa someone can wield a piece of clothing for a very long time pass through like a family there are some pieces of clothing in which like the designs of it itself like tell a specific story or like the colors and the patterns of the clothing are only worn on specific events on specific years on specific people for specific things and so it's very intricate and I think what a lot of modern African designers are trying to do is to display that like 
not necessarily outside of the context in which these clothes have been designated towards, but to show that this is more than just fabric and ink molded together, that this is a story. This is this clothing represents the fact that two families are being merged together. This piece of clothing is showing that a new member is being added to a family. This piece of clothing or article is something to display grief. And so I think taking that and then from different cultural contexts from different countries in Africa, just showing it on the stage in the way that it's meant to, I think is very important as well. I think, at least from my perspective, my mom is, as well as being from like a nurse, is a textile distributor. And so sometimes like we source cloth from her to be able to give to designers to just like, if like, like a piece is missing, like, oh, mom, like we need something very quick so we can stitch up to replace something. Yeah. And so like at times I go give her the contacts and it's like there's, let's say like, I don't know, like a wedding going on in the play and she'll go, oh, well, you want a darker color cloth for this scene. But you can't use that because we don't use that for a certain thing. It's just like understanding that in the little details, there is a huge significance. And that is expressed through clothing in African culture. And I think that we should allow people to see. And that's one of the things that we were doing at Visa. Yeah, it's incredible. I'm wondering now because I saw the a thing at the time of recording this. It was yesterday. There was an audition ad. Yeah. It said all white. Is that what? Or did I misread that? Like. Like for models, just so that we have like a uniform idea of like how everyone looks like, mm -hmm. like almost like like a modeling agency casting call. So like white t-shirt, jeans. If you want to walk in heels, whether male or female, whatever you identify as, please come so that we can see. And yeah, so that's what like the white t-shirt jeans. Makes like. sense. Yeah, that's very cool. Can I bring in something comparative again? Of course. My, I told my girlfriend I was doing this interview and she's native Hawaiian. She's a Pacific Islander. Hawaiian Hawaiian shirt. Yeah, this was my birthday gift, actually. I think it's beautiful. I love it. I'll tell you the story about it afterwards. But and talking about this, she was talking to me about how we met in Portland, Oregon. And she was comparing the Sabisa Festival to a luau she went to in Portland State. And she said, I went to two different ones. And one of them was in Portland State. And it was, you know, more of a, a show that you watched, like a showcase that you sat down with. And the other one was at a church and everyone was dancing and it was very tight net. They were both community, but in different ways. I'm wondering, just what do you make of that? Have you thought about making something like a Bisa that is, how do I say, like, I guess more open source? Or maybe that's beyond you, but is there been conversations about how to have everyone together in one moment as opposed to waiting? their turn to audition. Does that make sense? Am I on the right track? In terms of like community involvement or the way that we have a visa operate as a showcase? Let's go with community involvement first. I think that's the more important one for this conversation. I think that's what we always aim for. The obstacle though is administration and like different admin obstacles. Because like we do under, we operate under the school and the funding that we have for this show is under the school. To some extent, because we're using their money, we have to use it the way that they're told. I know when I was a freshman, I've been in ASG all four years, starting from like a freshman rep all the way up to president. 
And I remember before we were interrupted by the COVID-19 pandemic, we wanted to get different community chairs from different like cultures in the DMV. So there's like a Habesha community organization and there's a chairman for that organization. And there might be like a Yoruba organization and there's like a chairman for that. Or like for Ghana, like an Asantamayan organization is a president for that. And just using the people that are involved in their resources to weave one show together. So as opposed to, there will be students, there would have been students involved in the show, but the showcasing of culture would have been from outside resources. So the whole point was to have like, almost like a quote, like a community intertwined showcase. But then where we reached issue with that was like the school role with funding and how like, because it's not necessarily going towards like a Georgetown organization or like this. I remember once an admin that told us what is the significance of bringing this person. And, you know, I think when it comes, especially as like a cultural organization, and I feel as if many other cultural organizations on campus will tell you, sometimes when having events like this, you may have to bargain with the school. And I think the idea of bargaining culture is kind of insane. I think that you would think because this is like your way of life and it's a part of it that the school would be more understanding. But more times than not, it's usually like a tug of war. And so you come to some type of compromise and then you operate from that because at the end of the day, we said that a show is happening on this day. We have to put it on regardless. Yeah. Yeah, that is a lot of moving parts that you have to deal with that I don't think I fully considered beforehand. That makes a lot of sense, though. It's it's so... <laughs> whack feels like such a, you know, not the right word for it, but it's so ridiculous how this country would just kind of strip people of that cultural specificity, right. you know, and be like, you are Mexican, you are Black, you are Indian, you are Asian. Yeah, and it's <laughs> just like, it's like we want to understand until it becomes beyond us to understand. Now we don't want to understand anymore. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so, like, culture... It is what it is. And even if you don't understand it, it may not necessarily be for, there for you to understand. Like, mm -hmm. it doesn't always have to be digestible in order for you to consume it. Sometimes it may not even be there for you to consume in general because it wasn't designated for you. And so I think the disregard of it is sometimes always something that I've had to deal with or seen other past presidents deal with. And that's something that we always have to keep. Has there been any lessons learned from one president to the other that you've maintained that what would you tell the next president after you? Please stand your ground, especially when going back and forth about bigger events like this. But if you think that this is going to be important and enriching for the organization, you need to stand on it because it is that that act of being unwavering that allows the school to recognize the importance of cultural clubs like ASG. And so it might be difficult and they will make it difficult for you, but we are in a white institution. And I feel as a African, as a Black person existing in a PWI, it will, there will be times where it feels like helpless, but just standing on it and the position that you take as like president to be able to stand on that you leave a precedent for the organization for the next president to come after you and for the people that benefit from being an ASG.
with what you just said, this is a PWI institution. Given the context and the history of Georgetown, what weight do you feel on hosting Lisa, being the president of ASG? I will say that the pressures of operating as like a black club is already there. So not even just um, with Fabisa, but just just semester wide events, just being able to be up and active so the school doesn't disregard the black community. Because that's what happens if an other black organizational leadership can tell you when we are not active, the school disregards us. And when there is disregard in that respect, they're able to disregard bigger things, you know, in reference like 272 in Georgetown's history of like slavery and racism. And so it's just like the little things. And then you have bigger things like Abisa, where we have to put these things on to for one aspect so that we show the school that we are still here. There is a demographic of students that are black that are here that are present and i think that's the biggest thing that not just i myself but us as an organization we always keep in mind every single year so just not even just to display the activeness but to like we are existent we are here like you can't overlook us you can't overlook a bsa or a caribbean culture circle you can't overlook us we are here and so i think when it comes to like pressure that's the main thing that I keep in my mind. Yeah. I have kind of one other, one last question. And I'm just thinking about this kind of really big picture. But if we were looking at both our experiences and the experiences of people I've had on this show before you and after you, right? We're all first generation. How do you see the trajectory of the U.S. in that context? Because there will be more of us sooner rather than later do you see things how do you see the culture shift in a significant way or do you at all see that happening i think i see people like us occupying space i think but to like a certain extent because these spaces are still operated by you know whiteness the way we'll be able to operate is just something that is in the mystery, like not necessarily unforeseen. I don't think unforeseen is the right word, but that's like something that we will have to figure out down the line. Like I see black and brown people taking up more educational spaces, taking up more professional spaces, taking up more spaces in the arts and in activism, government. I see it, but I know that because that this us being more present works against like a system that works to suppress people like us. There will be pushback. And so I think the main question I always ask myself is like, how are we going to work against that? Like systems like that are ever changing so they can remain in power. How are we going to work against the grain? Yeah. When is Abisa? Avisa is on April 22nd. It's a Saturday and it will be held in Georgetown's business school building in LARPing Auditorium. Amazing. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really happy Jackie came on the show and I'm really happy the directions this conversation went on. 
honestly, I think what really stuck out to me in this conversation was, you know, really opening up what's possible for like our collective people, right? Like the collective immigrant experience and for people of color in this country. If people don't know something exists, they'll never know that they can reach for it. You know, I think that was a really important takeaway for me. Legitimately. Especially just, yeah, it's, 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 of course, it's important to have people in the STEM fields and for people to be in the law and to have all these, you know, things. But it's also important to acknowledge we can't just do it because that is what we are told to do. You know, we have to have a real passion and want for it. So I fully respect and just love that Jackie is kind of breaking ground for her family and going into, you know, development into looking at how to better the situation in a lot of these countries while also acknowledging like, yeah, we, we have a privilege of being, there is a privilege of being American, which is something that I've, I've, I've been grappling with more and more, you know, it's, it's interesting. <laughs> I say that a lot. It's, it's interesting to grapple with it and to think about what that means in the context of the greater world, right? There's a whole society outside of us, but how can we use the privileges that we gain here to better things elsewhere? Thank you, Jackie, for coming on. It was a really great talk. And don't forget to go to Ibiza, April 22nd, please. I'm going to be there. And I'm sure it's going to be a great time. Thank you for listening. I'll see you next time. Oh, yeah, I'll see you next time. We're going to have a Valentine's Day special coming up soon. That should be fun. Thank you for listening. This has been Minority Report with me, your host, Salomon Flamenco. You can find all the socials down in the podcast notes. Yeah, follow, subscribe. <laughs> Please rate this show and share with everyone you know. It has been a great ride so far, and it's got a lot more to go. Thank you all for listening, and I will see you next time. Bye-bye.